Belcha. Welcome to Village Oak Tree for December 6, 2023. I'm Terrence O'Donnell, your favorite scalet. Come sit with me under the Village Oak Tree with a cup of something warm as I bring you some more news from around the world, back page news, and a spotlight of something I hope will get your attention. So as always, the show is free to subscribe to on all major podcast apps, including Substack and YouTube with a donation page on the Village Oak Tree webpage at rss.com and my website at www.cranhotbaya.com for anyone that feels generous enough to support my work. Think of it as passing a hat. If you like what I have to say here, please share this podcast with everyone you know as much as possible before it gets too late. My motive is not for money, but to make a difference in the world, and I can't do it without your help. So for each article I present to you, there's going to be links to read the stories in their entirety and to follow up newsletters posted at medium.com, substack.com, and in the blog section of my website, which my website's free for everyone to read. When I go on my break, I've created a short advertisement from my website to give you an idea what it's all about. It's the only commercial I have here, so don't worry about it. Coming up in the second half, I bring my focus back to the United States this week. I've got an article from the U.S. southern border, notably Texas, regarding all the migrant deaths down there. I also recorded a discussion with somebody named Christoph Morrow, a Canadian author who is currently originally from Houston, Texas, and now lives in Vancouver, B.C., Canada. So let's get to my first story this week. This one came out of Nepal last week. LGBTQ plus couple in Nepal are first in South Asia to be legally married. Rights activists say marriage of Maya Garung, a transgender woman, and Surendra Pandey is a historic day. This came out of TheGuardian.com by Gaurav Pokharal in Kathmandu and Hannah Ellis Peterson in Delhi. This is historically a large Hindu country. Now, if only the rest of the world would be so accommodating. Now we're going to slide up to go north here. I got a couple of stories out of Russia. Russian outlaws international LGBT public movement as extremist. Human rights activists say Supreme Court's vague wording provides wide scope for persecution. I got this from TheGuardian.com also by Pyotr Sor. Now from the other side of the perspective, Russia is trying to outlaw LGBTQ anything. I feel bad for any gay people in Russia because they are coming for you, which leads right into my next article where they actually did come for them. Police raid gay clubs across Moscow after anti-LGBTQ Supreme Court ruling. Club goers' documents were checked, photographed by security services. This came out of the Associated Press, where I got the story from out of CBC Canada. So is history repeating itself again? How is, not, how is this not a mirror of the Nazis in the 1930s? Now, I got this other story from Russia. I got a couple more, actually. Russia boosts size of armed forces by 170,000 troops. President Putin's decree takes the number of Russian service personnel to 1.32 million amid continuing Ukraine war. This came, this came out of aljazeera.com. So Russia appears to be heading for more of a war footing with this new move. Could a massive push be coming for the eastern border of Ukraine soon? Well, the fact that countries have been busted now for trafficking people to become soldiers in the Russian army from way outside of Russia, I think the Russians are really getting desperate for people. And, he, you know, and it's all come down to bodies. They don't really care if they know how to fight, don't care if they know how to shoot a gun. All they need is bodies. 
That's pretty sad. And this one I got out of the, this one came from Bloomberg.com this morning. How Russia punched an $11 billion hole in the West oil sanctions. Moscow's monthly income from oil exports is now greater than before the invasion of Ukraine, highlighting the failure of measures to curb its war chest by Alaric Nightingale, Julian Lee, and Alex Longley. Story of Bloomberg yesterday, uh, and it came out, I guess, last night, about how Russia is using shadow shipping corporations, excuse me, and old tankers to move their oil around the world and bypassing their oil sanctions designed to restrict Russia's ability to make war on Ukraine. U.S. is looking to find other ways to stop them. But no matter what they do, Russia's going to find another way to sell our oil. You might as well just get over it. So now we're going to go across the world a little bit here. Uh, we're going to go to China, the South China Sea. Philippines deploys vessels to monitor illegal presence of Chinese boats in South China Sea. I got this from Reuters. This is how China does things. They just move in, daring anyone to try to do anything about it beyond words. That is how they built up the Spratleys. They just moved in, built it up, despite everyone's objections. They know how to call everyone's bluff and are doing it again. So, now what? Well, the Philippines is kind of gearing up to maybe do something about it. But it's going to be a question of, uh, you know, what is it? The David and Goliath kind of situation here for them guys. I really hope the Philippines knows what they're doing. If they try to push the buttons too much. There's another one from the Philippines. And it's China, more China and Filipino. American fingerprints all over Manila's new spat with Beijing. Former President Duarte's pro-China tilt was always hard to sustain against the deep-seated pro-U.S. sentiments of the Filipino public. This came out of Alex Lowe, and I got this from the South China Morning Post. Like father, like son, Marcos Jr. is cozying up hard with the Americans. His father was as corrupt as they get, but he stayed in power and abused the privilege to max as long as he had the U.S. to back him up. Until they didn't. As I've said, the only, the only thing the U.S. does is to benefit them. Not because they're nice guys. Marcos Jr. will be well to remember that. Now we're going to go over to Europe. How gang violence took hold of Sweden in five charts. A Scandinavian country has the second highest gun crime death rate in Europe, with poverty and inequality among driving factors. And this came out of TheGuardian.com by Victor Sunemark. Sweden has a problem with socioeconomics, nearly as bad as the U.S., now, being in second place in all of Europe for gun-related gang violence, largely due to the wealth gap, something is going to give here. Is this a trend for other EU countries for the near future? We better hope not, because it's, that's a prelude to war for a global war. All right, back to Southeast Asia. Some 170 Rohingya land in Indonesia and latest boat arrival. Appears that there's now some movement of Rohingya refugees from Bangladesh to Indonesia. Not that Indonesia will accept all of them, but if they could take a few thousand, it'll take some of the pressure off the camps in Bangladesh. Some small good news for the poor refugees for a change. And there's been another couple articles on this since this, this one came out, that more refugees from Bangladesh are starting to arrive in Indonesia and are being accepted. Hey, you know what? If they come in in, in small amounts of small boats... Maybe they can be absorbed and actually find a home. All right, so we're going to go a little bit further south to Australia. Australia's Greens to investigate supermarket price gouging. 
out of Reuters. This story mirrors some stories out of Canada a couple of months ago when the Canadian government decided to investigate some of their grocery retailers for price gouging. Is this going to become a trend for grocery corporations going forward? Is anyone asking about the American grocery retailers? Stay tuned. There may be more of this coming up in a later date. So, what that basically means is one of Australia's political parties has decided to find out if their supermarkets down there are gouging customers and charging too much. Of course, the retailers say no, as much the Canadians did the same thing here not too long ago, and the retailers up there said the same thing. No, we're not. It's just costing us more to do business. Well, you never hear a peep out of the Americans, so it makes you wonder. And from what I know, Great Britain's even worse. So now I've got a kind of, this is from the COP28, and it's kind of political in some ways. As we all heard all over the news, COP28 was going on in Dubai this week. And there was a lot of stories about the, the president of the of the conference um, promoting Petro and all kinds of stuff like that. And now here's another article. Low carbon product promoted by COP28 president three times more damaging to regular fuels. And this came out of Euronews.com and by Zuza Nazurek. Blue hydrogen, along with blue ammonia, praised by the president of COP28 as a low-carbon product, which, according to this article, is a smokescreen for making more money as a cost of the environment by the UAE. The petrostate is just looking for more ways to keep their stranglehold on the world as they do all they can to continue selling their oil and gas byproducts. And what this article is about is the president is selling their product here at the COP28, and it turns out, this stuff emits more methane than most normal stuff. But he's pushing it, and he's making some sales. But it goes back to what I was saying that was in the news, that these these people from the, the Middle East region over there that are running this COP28 conference are all pushing their products. It's more of a sales convention than it is an environmental one. And this one is, I got this out of the Atlantic. This is from the United States. Well, it's about the United States, not necessarily from. What happens when the U.S. overestimates its power? American leaders keep overestimating their control over events in the Middle East, Ukraine, and around the world by Phillips, Payson, O'Brien. An opinion piece in The Atlantic talks about the failures of the U.S. foreign policy all over the world and how the U.S. should maybe step back a little and let the world breathe just a little bit before jumping in again and then backing off from after the initial engagement like in Ukraine and Afghanistan, leaving people hanging out to dry. If the U.S. decides to do something, do it. Not stick their toes in and decide after a bit that the water's too cold. A lot of governments are taking stock and asking themselves, is it worth doing business with the U.S. anymore? Are they going to renege on their promises later on? Well, as of today, the news is that looks like the United States government may be uh, in a tiff in the Senate right now, and withholding money from Ukraine. Now, Joe Biden advertised that they're sending some money, but the Senate's saying, no, we're not going to. So it's looking like the, the war in Ukraine may become a problem. Um, and, you know, with the, money, with the money not coming from the U.S., it could be dire over there. From France to Ireland and beyond, Europe confronts an increasingly transnational far-right threat. I guess this one from Euronews. 
by Andrew Naughty. This article talks about all the recent violence and protests against asylum seekers and migrants moving into Europe as a whole and creating the formation of alt-right nationalist groups across Europe. They all have one thing in common, using X, what used to be Twitter, to foment their rebellions across borders. Is there a plan here, maybe sanctioned by Elon Musk? World leaders are starting to ask those kinds of questions right now, especially with countries that are receiving a lot of unrest, like Great Britain, and as I noted earlier, Sweden. Denmark's been having a lot of problems in the last several years. So, yeah, it's becoming an issue. And a lot of countries are going uh, ultra-nationalist here to try and keep all these migrants out. The damning proof of migrants tortured in Libya and Italy's complicity. The Refugees in Libya movement has posted shocking images to awaken our consciousness. But here, all is silent, and the hope for humanity is entrusted to a Europe that will be born from the bottoms up. And I got this from theworldcrunch.com by Mattia Ferrari. This came out of Italy. How Italy's financing of the Libyan Coast Guard in 2017 set up the mafia camps torturing and exploiting sub-Saharan migrants. There are now groups of activists who are working to rescue the migrants from the shipwrecks and camps. But the ransoming and torture still goes on out there in the Libyan desert. So here you go with social justice here. You got migrants that are coming out of sub-Saharan, crossing the desert, getting, getting picked up by the, the gangs over there and being tortured and exploited and being held for ransom. And it's a big, it's becoming a real big deal over there. And now we're going to go up to the Balkans. Surge in refugee deaths in Balkans region where UK provides border force training. This is an investigation piece out of inews.co.uk. Almost 100 people presumed to be migrants have died along one section of the route this year a 46% increase on the whole of 2022, by May Bullman. This article details the deaths of unmarked graves in the Balkans, notably in Bulgaria, where a lot of Syrians and others are dying to cross from Turkey through the Balkans into Western Europe. The uptick in deaths is being blamed on British training of the local border patrols who commit violence against the migrants, leading them to choose more treacherous paths through the mountains and unpopulated areas. They're dying of starvation, disease, and dehydration. It's only a taste of what's to come. As I've said before in other, in other podcasts, there's going to be millions upon billions of migrants over the next few years coming up from the mid-latitudes, mid headed north to find better climates. And if, if the Balkans, countries in the Balkans think they got a problem now, yeah, just wait for it. So now we're going to go to Africa. This is kind of an American story in some ways. It's also about Africa. Biden's plans to counter China run through Angola. And I got this from Semaphore.com by Morgan Chalfant. The U.S. and the EU want to help Angola build a good railroad system to connect Zambia and the Democratic Republic of Congo through Angola's Lobito port. It's a way to counter China's influence, but is it just another way to impose colonialism on African nations again, given all the lithium mining going on? You have to know that the West having access to all that has to be part of the equation here, and shoving China out is just par for the course. And this is what they're not telling anybody. The United States never does anything for free. They don't do anything to be nice to anybody. They smile, they shake your hand, but meanwhile, they're reaching around behind you to take what you got. And this is probably another good example right here. 
the United States wants more access to the lithium mines in Africa, and they want to shove China out of it. The U.S. will impose a visa ban soon on Israeli extremist settlers for West Bank violence by Humera Pamuk. The story from Reuters goes to show you how most of the, just how hypocritical the U.S. government is over Israel. In October, Israel could do no wrong. The U.S. didn't say a word about the West Bank and the settlers' obvious ethnic cleansing going on. Now, a month later, they changed their minds to say, okay, that's not good anymore. You need to stop. That's like telling the horses to stop running after the, leaving the corral gates open. And with, there's more to this story. As of, to, as of this morning, or probably late yesterday, the United States has indeed imposed a visa ban, as talked about here in this article. So it, it's a thing now. West Bank settlers have overstepped their welcome, and they're not welcome here in the United States. After mass exodus, Israel's rush to replace foreign workers raises human rights concerns. A situation like this is the perfect storm, unquote, says human rights researcher by Rihanna Schmuck in CBC News. You think? Israel, along with most of the richer Arab countries, don't give a fig about human rights. Money is their moral focus. Cheap foreign labor is all the rage, and with the war causing a mass exit of workers, the Israelis are getting desperate because some countries have no problem with exploiting their labor force for money. If the workers don't get paid or abused or killed, oh well, there are more where they came from. And this is the kind of people that the U.S. supports with no reservations. White House warns it's out of money and nearly out of time to aid Ukraine. This goes back to that other story I told you about. Government has already gone through $11 billion in military aid for Ukraine and urges Congress to approve additional funding. And this came out of TheGuardian.com a few days ago by Edward Helmore. So the U.S. is running dangerously close to not being able to send military supplies to Ukraine by the end of the year. The lower chamber of commerce says they will let go of the money on conditions relating to the southern U.S. border. They also don't have enough manufacturing capacity to keep up with the world's demands. So whose fault is that? Previous presidents have chased away most of the factories in the U.S. in the last several decades. So what would happen if the U.S. really needed to defend itself now? And as I said before, the Senate is balking at sending this money over a dispute in some conference that they just had. And it was personal. It was all about egos. Had nothing to do with the money or Ukraine. So, you know, it's like, come on, people. Playground bullies. World Bank accused of turning blind eye to sexual abuse in Kenyan schools it funded. Calls grow for independent inquiry after the bank's internal watchdog found 21 cases of child sexual abuse by teaching staff. And this came out of The Guardian by Carolyn Kimu in Nairobi. It seems that the World Bank is neglecting to stand by its standards regarding who it lends money to. Not only over this child sex abuse, but other projects as well. Looks like it's give out the money with no oversight type of scenario. Not a good image for the bank whose major contributor is the United States. Now I've got some climate articles here, environmental articles. Rockall fishing rights dispute between Scotland and Ireland deepens. Countries at loggerheads over access to fishing grounds in North Atlantic since Brexit referendum in 2016. This came out of the Guardian UK News by Severin Carroll and Rory Carroll. Not spelled the same. <laughs> 
A long-standing dispute over fishing grounds because of Brexit is slowly starting to gain resolution as Scotland starts to tackle sovereignty matters in, into their own hands more and more. They're abiding by Westminster rules to manage the dispute over fishing rights around the Scottish island, but there may be an agreement soon that doesn't involve London coming soon. And that's basically what this article is talking about here, is that Scotland and Ireland may make their own agreement over the this island over here, the Rockall Island, over fishing rights, who gets to fish where, uh, without London being involved. Scotland's getting to the point now where they're about done with it. So as I said in previous podcasts, and as we, uh, and we all know going on right now, Ireland right now is, is gearing up slowly, but gearing up to do it the right way, to offer a referendum here in a few years on Irish unity. So that means no more North Ireland and the Republic It'll be all one country. Scotland, on the other hand, has been doing a lot of debating on whether they want to go their own way because they're tired of London telling them what to do. So this could be another kind of nail in the in the box here. So now we're going to go up to Canada. There's a crisis on the Yukon River by Marlena Sloss and Dino Grandoni. This come out of the Washington Post. Story about environmental crisis not, like to, not likely to make a lot of front pages. Seems that climate change and overfishing have depleted the salmon in the Yukon, causing other species, including native populations, I mean native human populations, to become hungry. There is no easy answer, and all anyone can do is save what's left. And what they're talking about here is that it used to be the Yukon River was just right full of salmon. And not that many decades ago, a couple of decades ago, they used to almost walk across the fish to get to the other side of the river. Now, they're just a trickle of salmon coming through. And for the people up there, uh, the Native Americans, up, I say Native, well, yeah, Native, Native Americans, North Americans, Native North Americans, who depended on the fish for their livelihoods, as in food, they're now struggling. And they're trying to figure out how they're going to eat because getting groceries up that part of the country is a pretty hard thing. So it's going to get interesting. Explainer, how climate change is making the world sick. And this came out of Reuters by Gloria Dickey. With global temperatures rising more and more, other things like diseases from insects and extreme heat are ramping up too. There are more and more stories coming out about malaria, dengue, West Nile, Zika, and others on the increase. Lung diseases on the upswing from breathing wildfire smoke. Malnutrition from crop failures, heat stress, and so on all pushing death tolls up by 250,000 per year, according to the experts. Cholera is also making a comeback. So it looks like there's no going back anymore. Global warming is here, and it's just going to get worse. And as, you know, something I mentioned again in previous podcasts, given it probably by the end of this decade, where instead of 250,000 a year, you're probably going to look at a half a million to maybe close to a million people dying off every year uh, after that from all of the global warming and stuff and all the all the repercussions thereof. But here's a good news story out of China. China continues to pioneer clean energy after unveiling world's first three-in-one system, a new horizon for the industry, by Susan Elizabeth Turek in the cooldown. China has now invented a three-in-one green energy platform that incorporates solar, wind, and fish farming all in one system. This new system can generate enough electricity to provide for about 42,500 people in China. 
Maybe they can make a deal with the rest of the world. Well, of course, you know anything else. Chinese, they make something like this. They get it perfected. They're going to want to sell it all around the world. Well, that's actually a good thing. Now, our last two articles are feel-good articles. One is from the state of Kentucky here in the United States. Kentucky two-year-old's high IQ makes her youngest female member of Mensa. Isla McNabb's ability to read back words written on an erasable tablet led her parents to contact Guinness World Records. This came out of the Guardian.com world by Ramon Antonio Vargas. The little girl is now three years and in preschool, but what can only imagine her future as a member of the Mensa Club for ultra geniuses. So yeah, this little girl is going to bear some watching. She may just end up changing the world when she gets to be an adult. Maybe by the time she gets to be a preteen. And yeah, I got a and my next field goal article is coming out of Ireland. Plato, Pilates, and pubs has an Irish town found the secret to the good life. And it's come out of theguardian.com by Rory Carroll. And he got this article from Scary's Ireland. The story makes one think about what is the good, good in life. Here's a little town on the east coast of Ireland. That seems to have it all. And I'm not talking about amenities. It's more about attitude. They have an idyllic town life that the rest of the world could take a lesson from. Well, I'm sure they have the normal problems all towns have. They don't seem to get all up in arms about it like most Americans do. As I said, it's all about attitude. Conservative MP introduces bill to declare December Christian Heritage Month. Bill C-369, the Christian Heritage Month Act, is unlikely to be invaded or come up for a vote by Peter Zamonic in CBC News. So in Canada... Debate in the House of Commons over whether Christmas is a racist holiday and whether they should designate December as Christian Heritage Month. Obviously, everybody made a joke about it. The fact that they are even having this debate makes me wonder about how the U.S. would do something like this. How would that go over in the House of Representatives right now? So that's the end of my first half. It's time for me to take a break. Uh, I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Give a listen to my message, and I'll be back with my op-ed. take this break to bring attention to my website, crownnabeha.com. Just type in www.cranna-beatha.com in your browser and search for it. You may also use the link in the newsletters on medium.com, substack.com, or the podcast transcripts on rss.com to find it for the first time. The name is Gaelic, and it may be a little hard to find unless you know what you're looking for. Then bookmark it if you wish to return. I also have the RSS feeder enabled, so if you like my blog posts, you can get a notice whenever I post something new. Search for cronnabeha.com in your RSS feeder. Users finding the website for the first time will reach the welcome page to learn a little bit about what's inside. There you will see the homepage link where you can learn a little more about what Cronabeha means for a little bit of Irish culture, and a little more about me in general. On the menu bar at the top, there are links to a blog section where I post podcast newsletters, blog articles, stories, and poems, a drop-down menu with links to both podcasts, a donations page, an ad page for my published books, and a contact page in case someone cares to leave a message. Everything I write is available in the blog section of my website for free. If you like what you see and are feeling generous, feel free to leave a donation 
and or a message in the comment page anytime. I'll respond fairly quickly within reason. Enjoy the music and I'll be back with the second half shortly. Welcome back to the second half of the Village Oak Tree. I want to bring my attention back to the United States this week. Last couple of weeks, it's all been about Gaza, Israel, or Palestinians and stuff. So I decided to do something here closer to home. I picked up a story about the southern American border that seemed to stand out above the rest. And I want to talk about it because it's a humanitarian issue that's been demonized by the people who own ranches across the 2,000-mile border from Brownsville, Texas to Imperial Beach, California. The article is entitled, Where's the Humanity? Migrant Deaths Soaring at El Paso Juarez Border with Few Days to Document Them. By Lauren Villagran in El Paso Times. For years, the U.S. media has bombarded citizens about how they have to completely shut down the southern border to prevent any, and I mean not one single illegal, illegal migrant from crossing except at the authorized entry points, then bringing the asylum and visa application process to a crawling halt. It's as if the Americans don't want any immigrants applying for visas or asylum unless they have a master's degree in something and a satchel full of cash. They've been fined and called off for abusing the H-1B visa program, in a lot of cases using it like an indentured servitude program. Unless you're living under a rock somewhere, the media has also been blasting the airways with stories about all the cartel violence, corrupt governments, impoverishing their people, and so on. Of course, 
a lot of the, for a lot of North Americans, it's all about see no evil, hear no evil, say no evil, and look the other way. Then they complain when there's no agriculture workers, meatpacking employees, landscapers, hotel housekeepers, and so on, without asking why. The United States brought this calamity onto the cell starting in the 1980s, and it's been snowballing down to proverbial mountains since. Not that they want to admit any fault. As a podcast guest on Chris Hedges' report said of the U.S. government today, they are mostly gentrified and out of touch with the real world now. They mentally live in a pre previous decades and can't seem to be able to move forward in time. As the world is moving on without them, the chaos is front and center for anyone with a mold of advice to see. Wars and corruption everywhere. Authoritarian governments making aggressive moves and starting wars everywhere. Mostly in Eastern Europe, Africa, and now Palestine. There are wars in Central and South America, but just not the sensationalist ones coming from overseas. There are wars going on in Brazil against the corporations who want to rip out every bit of the Amazon rainforest in their pursuit of money. There are wars between the drug cartels tearing up the landscapes over who can make the most money selling drugs, people, and anything else they deem profitable. Just another version of a corporation, only with less rules. Other South American countries are suffering from massive poverty that the U.S. had a hand in creating with their global imperialism from the 20th century, something that now late Henry Kissinger instigated when he was a somebody with the U.S. government once upon a time. The whole point of all this is to point out that the current situation on the U.S. southern border. As per this article, I mentioned in the beginning here, there are more and more bodies piling up along the trail of the United States, from the Darien Gap down there at the at the entryway to Central America, all the way to the U.S. border. Not only are migrants telling horrible stories of having to step around the dead down in the jungle path of the Darien Gap, the body count in the deserts on the Mexican side of the U.S. border is also starting to get pretty high now. This is also a there is also a pretty high body count of dead migrants and asylum seekers on the U.S. side. And in the detention centers, in the remote parts of some of these ranches on Texas, and the Arizona borders, some are killed by the Border Patrol and civilian militias, especially in Texas. According to this article, due to the remoteness of some of these places, there's no way to get an accurate body count because some of the dead have been lost for decades. Their bodies lost out in the Sonoran Desert somewhere or in the jungles of Ecuador in Central America. A lot are killed by traffickers and gang members and left to rot somewhere, unburied or accounted for. Is the United States responsible for this humanitarian crisis? The answer is a resounding yes on multiple levels, all the way to Washington, D.C. They created it and now don't want to own up to the mess they caused with their failed foreign policies. All to get more riches from the U.S. corporations and, in turn, more bribe money for the politicians through the years. Excuse me, I meant to say campaign donor money. Right now, there's a right-wing governor of Texas who is fighting with the federal government over control of the state borders. He wants a total shutdown. With concertina wire everywhere, there isn't any. Razor wire buoys in the Rio Grande River. Soldiers and armed militia patrolling every inch of the Texas borders. He doesn't care about any humanitarian crisis or any federal law. He's invoking what he says is state's right to defend against an invasion by a foreign government. Apparently he thinks illegal migrants are to be considered enemy combatants of a foreign government and to be dealt with accordingly. The federal government has told him that he has gone too far and is working on tearing out all that wire while the fight in the courts goes on none of which is helping the dead and dying trying to avoid near certain death where they're coming from. There are certain non-profit agencies trying to repatriate many bodies that are found to the families if the dead can be identified. This only applies to those bodies that are found. 
There are more being found all the time now. Of course, there is the money issue. These nonprofits depend on donation and government funds, which is sadly lacking. The government mortuaries are not moving real fast to help with the identification either. For the most part, it seems, the dead will just keep piling up around the border fences and on the more dangerous portions of the path north because the lawless areas of the Darien Gap are largely a no-man land and the southern American border is nothing but a wasteland of despair and indifference. Certain political groups want a total hardened border. Quote, to prevent the drug smugglers and people traffickers from crossing the border, unquote, so they cry to the media. Little do they know that the majority of the drugs and people are smuggled across at the border entry points and low-flying aircraft. Or they know, but they choose to ignore that in favor of the more clickbait news of an invasion of the southern border. Meanwhile, impoverished and uneducated migrants die by the hundreds, trying to find a way just so, across just so they can send money home or find a way to bring their families to the U.S. This, this does not apply to just Latinos from Central and South America. There are reports of a lot of dead Chinese, Cuban, Haitian, and European migrants down in the jungles of South America. There have been a lot of migrants reported at the southern border from a lot of other countries besides the Americas. A lot of them have been caught at the border, and they're waiting for their asylum hearing. How many have died along the way? No one will truly ever know the answer to that question. The biggest question is this. How many more people have to die before someone gets high enough up in the U.S. government chain of command to actually make a humanitarian decision to help these poor people. Joe Biden set up remote visa outposts in certain Central South American countries to help with that, but it's nowhere near enough. Not everyone is willing to wait in the long lines and even longer times for anyone to make a decision under cases. For a lot of them, it's go now or die now. That and word of mouth is always the most inaccurate and slowest type of broadcast media. It doesn't help when social media is so full of misinformation either. So here they come using false and wrong information to try and make it across into the land of gold and honey. Then they find out they were misled when they arrive. A lot of them try to cross at the pushing of the coyotes, the traffickers. Some are just so desperate to get across after a trip without adequate food and water and shelter from the sun that they throw themselves at the fences and a lot are hurt or die trying. It's a lose-lose situation for the United States. They're damned if they do and damned if they don't. Too many immigrants will tax the systems that are already at capacity in a lot of places, much like what Europe was going through. Not enough will strain the labor force and cause a large loss of money if companies don't have enough labor to produce products anymore. This is already happening in the U.S. now, ever since the COVID pandemic shutdowns of 2020. Despite all the politics and racist attitudes, what about all the dead bodies lying out in the remote areas? Does anyone in the U.S. government actually care? Or is it better for them to just ignore this issue and continue to cry in the media about an invasion force trying to take over the states on the southern border? As it turns out, the U.S. president has made inroads in dealing with the migrant situation, or should I say the vice president, Kamala Harris. Biden sent her down to take care of things, and she worked out deals with leaders from Central America and U.S. companies doing business down there to put more people to work, bring in more aid money, and so on, cutting illegal migration back 70% now. But you wouldn't know that by listening to the U.S. Republican Party members. They live for fear-mongering as they think that is what's going to give them control over the government institutions. All this fear-mongering is what caused the problems in the first place. Fear of losing corporate money in the 1970s so they interfered in democratic governments in South America. Fear of drug cartels in the subsequent decades caused fear of the populace. Now, fear of an imaginary invasion force. Fear of being replaced by migrants from other countries. 
until the people in North America could figure out a more humane way to manage the climate migrants and asylum seekers in a timely fashion, this problem with all the unburied dead along the southern border will just continue to grow. Maybe the U.S. should seriously give Kamala Harris a chance to see if she could be a better steward of the United States. I bet she would do a credible job if given the chance, and not just with the migration problem. If the current trend is allowed to continue, maybe the body count will become a mere trickle of what it has been. It is doubtful that it will, as the misogynic Republican evangelicals can't allow that to happen. It would take too much away from their fear-mongering. Even now, Mike Johnson is trying to stir up more trouble for the southern border, using money as leverage to instill more fear of imaginary hordes of migrants rushing the southern border by the millions. As I mentioned in the first half, I have a discussion with Christoph Morrow, where I asked a couple of questions, but mostly we talked like two people meeting at a conference or something. The conversation meanders here and there, but we do talk a lot about, about Texas and the whole right-wing thing going on in the United States right now and the possible future. And the way that they police the borders, uh, you know, is is going to is going to later reflect like how they treat uh, like women of people and women uh, women and people of color uh, throughout the state. I mean, like whenever we saw, it's funny because there was so much. Uh, whenever, uh, like for example, when abortion rights uh, were taken away from, uh, uh, and they had. Uh, they had people speculating there were people speculating about what was going to happen, the kind of laws that were going to be passed and the measures that were going to be taken to prevent uh, women from going or people that pregnant people from going to different States to get that, to get abortions. And they were going to have dogs at the, on, at the roads, like waiting right. at the edge of the state and like having them perform pregnancy tests uh, before they can drive across uh I feel like we're just what we're seeing, what you see on the border is just going to be a much more vicious manifestation of that. Right. You know, that it's a tryout. It's a tryout. It really is. Like, think about how much uh, they get to test, like their surveillance equipment, you know, and all of their and, and their and whatever they use to uh, protect through firearms and things like that. I mean, there's just so much. Well, the thing about it is Abbott wants almost like turns Texas, Texas into his own personal kingdom. And the feds are fighting back. They're ripping up his concertina wire as we speak. And he's fighting it um, and all this kind of stuff. And I was reading an article here a couple months ago, little town out there, West side of Fort hood, which is where I was at. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they were talking about setting up watch, watch, watches and guards and stuff on the roads to prevent any of their women from leaving to go across the border into New Mexico and all that kind of stuff. I mean, still, Lampasos, Texas is a long way from New Mexico. So I was wondering what they were thinking. But still, it, it made a, you know, kind of a, a backstory article on the overall. You know, and I have a son that lives in Houston. And I'm I'm worried, you know, for them. Um, they seem to be doing fine, but still, mm-hmm. I'm pretty concerned about how they're going to do in, here in the future. Um, so it's yeah. going to be interesting to see how that all works out. Now, my my whole thing with that old business is um, I kind of want to see how far it's going to go. My what I'm looking at right now for Texas is I want to see what they're going to end up doing between the federal government and what the state of Texas wants to do. 
Okay. Yeah, that's you know what? Uh there's a lot of conflicts uh like between the southern states and the federal government, right? That's right. just a I mean, here's here's the thing. We go all the way back. If we go back to the Civil War, like before the Civil War. The reason why the Civil War started in the first place was because uh, the people, uh, you know, they in the I think in the northern states they had almost 20 million people, with 16 between 16 and 20 million people living there uh, that were member to the constituency of the North, and we're talking about like voting, senate, having their senators and represented by Congress. So, and the south including slaves people that were enslaved they had five million yeah so that, that's all they had and yet they were still able to stop uh because of the the senate uh they had so much power within the senate they they were able to stop uh the uh getting rid of slavery abolish it, the abolishing of slavery so um that's what really triggered the civil war uh because we realized that there was not it, we you can, it's an untenable position. You cannot argue with these people in good faith because that's not what they want. They want to exploit. Well, in 1859, one senator from either Georgia or Alabama got in a fist fight with a northern senator over mm -hmm. you know, the idea that they don't want the North telling them what to do. Mm -hmm. you, know, and, you know, everybody seemed to think that it was about slavery, and it, and it kind of was in its own. But the idea was the secession was all about the southern states didn't want the northern states tell them what to do. No, I mean, no, I mean, there, there is that, sure, but it, it was the vice president of the Confederacy that said in his speech that the preservation of slavery is their oh, yeah. most important thing, is oh, the yeah. most important part of the, the reason for their secession. Like they said, like they explicitly stated, the reason why we're leaving is because we cannot live, we cannot persist without the maintenance of slavery. Well, that's just it. And, you know, in about the 30 or 40 years, well, no, even before and before that. But the idea was that, yeah, all the southern states had slavery deeply entrenched in their economy and there's no way they could go back. They had no way to they had no way to go. Not go without back. not without the rich people losing money. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, so, yeah, I, I think it had I think it was something like it's something in the single digits, the the percentages of people that actually own slaves. In the South, the rest of the people were just fighting like they do now. Like they're like they're they're fighting for their rubber bearing corporate dudes. Like they're yeah. like, we want to be exploited. We have the right to be exploited. It's yeah. ridiculous. It's absurd. Yeah. Well, it's all coming back now, too. Yeah. You know, everybody's worried about. Yeah. But I mean, I mean it's just, uh, yeah, that's that's it. So. Well, you know, it's funny. I I'm concerned a little bit because it's interesting. Arizona had their own issues with their southern border mm. and they've kind of backed off on a lot of their rhetoric uh, but it's still there in a lot of ways but if arizona and texas get together but the problem is new mexico is a lot more liberal so they're yeah, kind of right in between see and i think that's having something to do with why we aren't seeing so much come out of arizona anymore which is a good thing as far as it goes but mm. i think some ways arizona's waiting to see what the next um, presidential election is going to turn out because I think if yeah. a Republican comes in, you're going to see them in the news a lot more. They're, yeah. they've kind of quieted down. Texas, on the other hand, Abbott, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about anybody. He's wanting yeah. to do his own thing. He's got all his Republican buddies that are uh, backing him up. Yeah, um, they got the state legislature. Like they have the whole trifecta. Locked up. Yeah. 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 That's just it. See. 
So I'm kind of I'm kind of wondering how that's all going to work out. I don't but really I, know because they would have to like eminent domain is what I suspect Texas would do to get whatever they wanted done but if i th i know i know that if the federal government were to try to do that to texas they'd be like absolutely not it's the whole thing with the the it's the whole thing with the 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 supreme court uh nominee again ah mitch mcconnell's like we shouldn't do that in an election year and then a right. month before the election they push in amy coney barrett and then a few months before that it was brett kavanaugh and both of those people's resumes were suspect oh yeah so well, you know, it's, all, it's just, it's, right. it's not done in good faith. It's not done in good faith. So you, like you, like we hear, I hate like having to like listen to what Republicans are going to say because nothing they say is meaningful to them. Like it doesn't mean anything to them. It means nothing. Right. They'll say whatever they have to say to win right there in that moment, regardless yeah, it, of, yeah, regardless of the quality of the argument. Right. It doesn't matter. It's all, it's just, it's all about power. I agree. Yep. It's, it's like to think it's so naive that they assume anyone would assume otherwise but that's just it's it, uh, yeah. yeah we're gonna get to the point where something like the, Re the republicans will be able to say ah the federal government's overreaching see look what they're doing right now right. so we're just they're just pushing i think they're just pushing to see if they can get well the um, other part of it too is that the rest of the country is also watching because there's a lot of states out in the midwest and out on the far west especially up in the Northwest area that are watching that real careful because if Texas gets away with stuff and Alabama, Louisiana, um, they're going to say, well, if they can do it, we're going to do it. Missouri being right at the top of the list in Idaho, there are already been, you know, testing the waters uh, with Eastern Oregon trying to say, well, we maybe kind of want to do this. We want to do that. And Idaho right now is, gathering i would say not intentionally but there's a lot of californians who were very ultra right wing they're moving to idaho right now and snatching up every property every which way they can and trying to start their own little deal up there but i that think that doesn't surprise me yeah but the big thing about that is that majority from what i've seen on the news feeds is that they're all sort of kind of kicking around and doing their own little thing like south dakota and they're ultra right wing governor there. She's made a few headlines here in the last few years. But the big thing is most of them are waiting to see what Abbott's going to do. Mostly I say not do, but get away with. Whatever yeah. he gets away with, they're going to start doing it too. And then that's going to be a big yeah. problem. That's what I told mean, I, I I saw this back in 2020, whenever we saw uh, the, the state, the governor Abbott took away all of the uh, the voting uh, boxes, the, the booths that you could actually put the, the mail-in ballots in. Mm -hmm. He took, in Harris County, he took all but one away from the entire yeah. city of Houston. The entire city of Houston is supposed to put their entire, their, their ballot into a ballot box, one ballot box, while this county that has 10,000 people has five, like, like throughout their little little town oh. it's ridiculous it's it's so it's so obvious the the fascism is so obvious that, that i just i i don't know because they they also had uh they were allowing people to like police voting like near yeah. uh yeah being near polling areas with their with weapons yeah and i mean like you see i don't know if you've ever seen like footage like when they have the protests um 
and between these two, the far right and the and the and progressive side, you see the cops facing the progressives mm-hmm. and defending with their backs. They got their backs to the conservatives who are screaming and jeering over their shoulders oh, yeah. at the r- liberals who are like, "We want human rights," and the and the conservatives are like, "Well, we want." <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Unmitigated authority over you and your Pretty entire much. family. That's the thing. You know, you know, here in Virginia, I'm um I'm one of those poll election workers here in Virginia. Mm-hmm. That's one of the first things they did in our training here when I started a couple of years ago was that you know nobody who's anybody who's a non-voter or a protester or whatever it is they want to do, um, they have to be, you know, I you know, part of what I do because you know, I've got a, a big background in security. They mm. uh, they said, you stand outside, make sure there's people stand outside the perimeter. I'm like, okay, you know, I can do that. Yeah. Um, and on the other hand, you know, they said that I got to, you know, watch people for weapons and stuff like that. Nobody's allowed to bring a weapon inside, you know, the, the polling stations and that kind of thing. So it's up to me to kind of glance at people, make sure they're not hiding a concealed weapon somewhere and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. last the last election I worked, I asked the boss, I asked the boss lady, I said, so I have a concealed carry permit. I said, should I stand out front and uh, and stand guard like a security guard? Oh, no, we're not quite there yet, but I'll keep that in mind. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, the fact that they're even thinking about it is, is almost scary. Yeah, I don't know how... <laughs> I don't know. The thing is that there, there is some truth to that. Like if like uh, it would potentially escalate. Yes. Like like if they if you had, you know, it's the same reason why you don't you keep the doors above the nuclear warheads locked. <laughs> so that yeah. Everybody knows like, oh, the lid's not open. So it's no threat. It's yeah. the same. It's the same thing, I think. Um yeah, in a lot of ways, and that's just it. But like you said, it's it's getting it's getting to be scary out there with all this voter suppression, and it makes me wonder how badly next year's elections are going to be. Um, I don't. I I think that uh, given the the way that uh, Texas is gerrymandered, I don't think democracy has existed in Texas for like twenty years, honestly. <laughs> yeah. No. And, and it's, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, it's it's just been good old boys. Right. Back to back to back. And if, if Texas was the only one that was an issue, it, it wouldn't be an issue. But unfortunately, Florida's like that now. Missouri's yeah. like that now. Iowa's mm-hmm. headed in that direction. Idaho definitely is. Um, so you think got, Iowa's headed that too? Yeah, Iowa right now, they're kind of on a borderline. Um, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of talk coming out of there. Uh, how, how favor that, you know, Trump is and all this kind of stuff. And you know, and that's the worst case scenario is that Trump somehow managed to finagle his way into becoming the president, you know, the Republican presidential nominee. That's really scary. And I saw something in the news late last night and this morning. Joe Biden actually admitted the only reason he's running is because of Trump. If it wasn't for Trump, he'd pass it on to somebody else. Yeah, I'm sure he would. I'm sure he would. But the fact that Honestly, I'm just it, 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 Pete Buttigieg is going to be the next president. It's really obvious uh, to oh. me. Like it, it feels, I feels it feels obvious rather because like if you consider like how well he did in Iowa uh, when he ran in 2016, he actually won Iowa. Yeah, 
he won Iowa. Like he put all his money there, but he won oh. Iowa against Hillary Clinton and uh, all the other, every other Democratic nominee. And that's that is extraordinary because he had zero name recognition before I before the wow. before the primary. So uh, that's it. that he is uh, he's extraordinary in that sense. And I think I think that um, given his demographics, like he's a white man. Right. And that, but he's gay, so that offers like some kind of minority uh, uh, appeal, like in that sense, like he is, he is, uh, he does, he is actually member to a minority, mm-hmm. um, and so, and also he's just really smart. He's just very, very, very smart, and he's very good at, yeah, he's he's really disarming. His 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 charm is very disarming, I think, to people even when they want to be aggressive with him. He's he's got a kind of. Um, a boy king kind of face you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, can't really yeah. yeah yeah i just guess it um you know there may be some thought to that who knows but we got to get through 2024 first mm-hmm. see how that all works out but yeah that's okay but yeah i expect things to start to heat up pretty good here once we turn the turn the corner over the holidays here um mm-hmm. it's going to get real interesting but what we can do is wait and see and I want to thank Kristen Morrow from this really great conversation that we had today. Um, I'm, you know, like he said, it it wasn't one that he's normally used to. He's used to having people maybe asking him questions. He talks about the things on his list and all this kind of stuff. Um, but as I told him that I don't typically, I'm not a journalist or anything like that. And I typically don't do interviews of that nature. I'm all about having a conversation. So I hope he's happy with this, um, and uh, maybe we can do it again in the future. Who knows? Now, I would be remiss if I didn't plug his two books. His, he published two, two volumes. They're both titled The Second Son, Volumes 1 and 2. And you can find them on Amazon, which I will provide the link for. The label is Epic Fantasies. He's sold at least 1,200 copies so far. So go to Amazon and check him out. And I'll, as I said, I'll put the link in the newsletters. So that's all I have for today. I thank you for listening, and I hope it gives you something to think about as you finish out your work week. Given all the mass atrocities being carried out by Israel right now in the ethnic cleansing of Gaza and the West Bank, how do you feel about the atrocities being committed by the U.S. and Mexico right in the backyard of the United States? Do you even Did you even know about all the dead lying out in the backcountry in the desert areas or down on the border? We don't hear any more about those that drown across the Rio Grande much unless it really comes up. Much like the mass shootings. Ho-hum, yesterday's news. Baru Mahagan, thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it, and that you'll return again for another episode of The Village Oak Tree. Feel free to share this with your friends and relations. The more you share, the more we can convince enough people to make the world a better place to live in. I hope I've achieved my goal in helping you feel like we've been sitting under the village oak tree today. As a Shauna Kay, I want to continue to travel to your digital village every week to bring you something that might bring you a smile or make you think a little bit after we part for the day. As I say goodbye this week, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day. May you live as long as you want and never want as long as you live. Schlange foil, which means goodbye for now in Irish. Mm-hmm.